Chapter Seven of Harry Heathcote of Gangoyle by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Seven. I wish you'd like me. All the Saturday night Heathcote had been on the run, and he did not return home to bed till nearly dawn on the Sunday morning. At about noon, prayers were read out on the veranda, the congregation consisting of Mrs. Heathcote and her sister, Mrs. Growler and Jacko. Harry himself was rather averse to this performance, intimating that Mrs. Growler, if she were so minded, could read the prayers for herself in the kitchen, and that, as regards Jacko, they would be altogether thrown away. But his wife had made a point of maintaining the practice, and he had, of course, yielded. The service was not long, and when it was over, Harry got into a chair, and was soon asleep. He had been in the saddle during sixteen hours of the previous day and night, and was entitled to be fatigued. His wife sat beside him, every now and again protecting him from the flies, while Kate Daly sat by with her Bible in her hand. But she, too, from time to time, was watching her brother-in-law. The trouble of his spirits, and the work that he felt himself bound to do, touched them with a strong feeling, and taught them to regard him for the time as a young hero. "'How quietly he sleeps,' Kate said. The fatigue of the last week must have been terrible. "'He is quite, quite knocked up,' said the wife. "'I ain't knocked up a bit,' said Harry, jumping up from his chair. "'What should knock me up? I wasn't asleep, was I?' "'Just dozing, dear.' "'Oh, well, there isn't anything to do, and it's too hot to get out. I wonder old Bates didn't come in for prayers.' "'I don't think he cares much for prayers,' said Mrs. Heathcote. "'But he likes an excuse for a nobbler as well as anyone.' "'Did I tell you that they had fires over at Jackson's yesterday, at Goolaroo? "'Was there any harm done? "'A deal of grass burned, and they had to drive the sheep, "'which won't serve them this kind of weather. "'I don't know which I fear most, the grass, the fences, and all the sheep. "'As for the buildings, I don't think they'll try that again.' "'Why not, Harry? "'The risk of being seen is too great. "'I can hardly understand that a man like Noakes should have been such a fool as he was.' "'You think it was Noakes?' "'Oh, yes, certainly. "'In the first place, Jacko is as true as steel. "'I don't mean to swear by the boy, though I think he is a good boy. "'But I'm sure he's true in this. "'And then the man's manner to myself was conclusive. "'I cannot understand a man in Medlicott's position supporting a fellow like that. "'By heavens, it nearly drives me mad to think of it. Thousands and thousands of pounds are at stake. "'All that a man has in the world is exposed to the malice of a scoundrel like Noakes.' "'and then a man who calls himself a gentleman "'will talk about it being un-English to look after him. "'He's a new chum. "'I suppose that's his excuse.' "'If it's a sufficient excuse, you should excuse him,' "'said Kate, with good feminine logic. "'Oh, that's just like you all over. "'He's good-looking, and therefore it's all right. "'He ought to have learned better. "'He ought at any rate to believe that men who have been here "'much longer than he has must know the ways of the country a great deal better.' "'It's Christmas-time, Harry,' said his wife, "'and you should endeavour to forgive your neighbours. "'What sort of a Christmas would it be "'if you and I and these young fellows here and Kate "'are all burned out of Gangoyle? "'Ah, here's Bates. "'Well, Mr. Bates, how goes it?' "'Tremendous odd, sir. "'We've found that out already. "'You haven't heard where that fellow Boscobol has gone?' "'No, I haven't heard. "'But it'll be over with some of those Brownby lads. "'They say Georgie Brownby's about the country somewhere.' "'If so, there'll be a row among them. "'When thieves fall out, Mr. Bates, honest men come by their own. 
Ah, so they say, Mr. Heathcote. All the same, I shouldn't care how far Georgie was away from any place I had to do with. Then the young master and his old superintendent sauntered out to his back premises to talk about sheep and fires and plans for putting out fires. And no doubt Mr. Bates had the glass of brandy and water which he had come to regard as one of his Sunday luxuries. From the back premises they went down to the creek to gauge the water. Then they sauntered on, keeping always in the shade, sitting down here to smoke, and standing up there to discuss the pedigree of some particular ram, till it was past six. "'You may as well come in and dine with us, Mr. Bates,' Harry suggested, as they returned toward the station. Mr. Bates said that he thought that he would. As the same invitation was given on almost every Sunday throughout the year, and was invariably answered in the same way, there was not much excitement in this. But Mr. Bates would not have dreamed of going into dinner without being asked. "'It's Midlicott's trip,' said Mr. Bates, as they entered the yard. "'I heard wheels when they were in the horse paddock.' Harry looked at the trap, and then went quickly into the house. He walked with a rapid step onto the veranda, and there he found the sugar-grower and his mother. Mrs. Heathcote looked at her husband almost timidly. She knew from the very sound of his feet that he was perturbed in spirit. Under his own roof-tree he would certainly be courteous, but there is a constrained courtesy very hard to be borne, of which she knew him to be capable. He first went up to the old lady, and to her his greeting was pleasant enough. Harry Heathcote, though he had assumed the bush mode of dressing, still retained the manners of a high-bred gentleman in his intercourse with women. Then, turning sharply round, he gave his hand to Mr. Medlicott. "'I'm glad to see you at Gangoyle,' he said. "'I was not fortunate enough to be at home when you called the other day. Mrs. Medlicott must have found the drive very hot, I fear.' His wife was still looking into his face, and was reading there, as in a book, the mingled pride and disdain with which her husband exercised civility to his enemy. Harry's countenance wore a look not difficult of perusal, and Medlicott could read the lines almost as distinctly as Harry's wife. "'I've asked Mrs. Medlicott to stay and dine with us,' she said, "'so that she may have it cool for the drive back.' "'I'm almost afraid of the bush at night,' said the old woman. "'You'll have a full moon,' said Harry. "'It will be as light as day.' So that was settled. Heathcote thought it odd that the man whom he regarded as his enemy, whom he had left at their last meeting in positive hostility, should consent to accept a dinner under his roof. But that was Medlicott's affair, not his. They dined at seven, and after dinner strolled out into the horse-paddock and down to the creek. As they started, the three men went first, and the ladies followed them. But Bates soon dropped behind. It was his rest to-day, and he had already moved quite as much as was usual with him on a Sunday. "'I think I was a little hard with you the other day,' said Medlicott, when they were alone together. "'I suppose we hardly understand each other's ideas,' said Harry. He spoke with a constrained voice, and with an almost savage manner, engendered by a determination to hold his own. He would forgive any offence for which an apology was made, but no apology had been made as yet, and, to tell the truth, he was a little afraid that if they got into an argument on the matter, Medlicott would have the best of it and there was, too, almost a claim to superiority in Medlicott's use of the word hard. When one man says that he's been hard to another, he almost boasts that on that occasion he got the better of him. "'That's just it,' said Medlicott. "'We do not quite understand each other. But we might believe in each other all the same, and then the understanding would come. But it isn't just that which I want to say. 
such talking really does any good. What is it, then? You may perhaps be right about that man, Noakes. No doubt I may. I know I'm right. When I asked him whether he'd been at my shed, what made him say that he hadn't been there at night-time? I said nothing about night-time. But the man was there at night-time, or he wouldn't have used the word. I'm not sure that that is evidence. Perhaps not in England, Mr. Medlicott, but it's good enough evidence for the bush. And what made him pretend he didn't know the distances? And why can't he look a man in the face? And why should the boy have said it was he if it wasn't? Of course, if you think well of him, you're right to keep him. But you may take it as a rule out here that when a man has been dismissed, it hasn't been done for nothing. Men treated that way should travel out of the country. It's better for all parties. It isn't here as it is at home, where people live so thick together that nothing is thought of a man being dismissed. I was obliged to discharge him, and now he's my enemy. A man may be your enemy without being a felon. Of course he may. I'm his enemy in a way, but I wouldn't hurt a hair of his head unjustly. When I see the attempts made to burn me out, of course I know that an enemy has been at work. Is there no one else has got a grudge against you? Harry was silent for a moment. What right had this man to cross-examine him about his enmities, the man whose own position in the place had been one of hostility to him, whom he had almost suspected of harbouring Noakes at the mill simply because Noakes had been dismissed from Gangoyle? That suspicion was indeed fading away. There was something in Medicate's voice and manner which made it impossible to attribute such motives to him. Nevertheless, the man was a free selector, and had taken a bit of the Gangoyle run after a fashion which to Heathcote was objectionable politically, morally, and socially. Let Medicott in regard to character be what he might. He was a free selector, and a squatter's enemy, and had clinched his hostility by employing a servant dismissed from the very run out of which he had bought his land. "'It is hard to say,' he replied at length, "'who have grudges, as against whom, or why. I suppose I have a great grudge against you, if the truth be known. But I shan't burn down your mill.' "'I'm sure you won't nor yet say worse of you behind your back than I will to your face. I don't want you to think that you have occasion to speak ill of me, either one way or the other. What I mean is this. I don't quite think that the evidence against Noakes is strong enough to justify me in sending him away. But I'll keep an eye on him as well as I can. It seems that he left our place early this morning, but the men are not supposed to be there on Sundays, and of course he does as he pleases with himself. The conversation then dropped and in a little time Harry made some excuse for leaving them, and returned to the house alone, promising, however, that he would not start for his night's ride till after the party had come back to the station. "'There's no hurry at all,' he said. "'I shan't stir for two hours yet, but Mickey will be waiting there for stores for himself and the German.' "'That means a nobbler for Mickey,' said Kate. "'Either of those men would think it a treat to ride ten miles in and ten miles back with a horse-load of sugar and tea and flour,' for the sake of a glass of brandy and water. "'And so would you,' said Harry, "'if you lived in a hut by yourself for a fortnight "'with nothing to drink but tea without milk.' The old lady and Mrs. Heathcote were soon seated on the grass, while Medlicott and Kate Daly roamed on together. Kate was a pretty, modest girl, timid withal and shy, unused to society, and therefore awkward, but with the natural instincts and aptitudes of her sex. What the glass of brandy and water was to Mickey O'Dowd after a fortnight's solitude in a bush-hut, with tea, dampers, and lumps of mutton, a young man in the guise of a gentleman was to poor Kate Daly. Her brother-in-law, let him be ever so good, 
is, after all, no better than tea without milk. No doubt Mickey O'Dowd often thought about a nobbler in his thirsty solitude, and so did Kate speculate on what might possibly be the attractions of a lover. Medicate probably indulged in no such speculations, but the nobbler, when brought close to his lips, was grateful to him as to others. That Kate Daly was very pretty, no man could doubt. "'Isn't it sad that he should have to ride about all night like that?' said Kate, to whom, as was proper, Harry Heathcote at the present moment was of no more importance than any other human being. "'I suppose he likes it.' "'Oh, no, Mr. Medlicott, how can he like it? It is not the hard work he minds, but the constant dread of coming evil.' "'The excitement keeps him alive.' "'There's plenty on a station to keep a man alive in that way at all times.' "'And plenty to keep ladies alive, too.' "'Oh, ladies, I don't know that ladies have any business in the bush. "'Harry's trouble is all about my sister and the children and me. "'He wouldn't care a straw for himself.' "'Do you think he'd be better without a wife?' "'Kate hesitated for a moment. "'Well, no, I suppose it would be very rough without Mary, "'and he'd be so lonely when he came in.' "'And nobody to make his tea?' "'Or to look after his things,' said Kate earnestly. "'I know it was very rough before we came here. "'He says that himself. "'There were no regular meals, "'but just food in a cupboard when he chose to get it.' "'That is not comfortable, certainly.' "'Horrid, I should think. "'I suppose it is better for him to be married. "'You've got your mother, Mr. Medlicott. "'Yes, I've got my mother. "'That makes a difference, does it not?' "'A very great difference. "'She'll save me from having to go to a cupboard "'for my bread and meat.' "'I suppose having a woman about is better for a man. "'They haven't got anything else to do, "'and therefore they can look to things.' "'Do you help to look to things?' "'I suppose I do something. "'I often feel ashamed to think how very little it is. "'As for that, I'm not wanted at all.' "'So that you're free to go elsewhere?' "'I didn't mean that, Mr. Medicott. "'Only I know I'm not of much use.' "'But if you had a house of your own?' Gangoil is my home just as much as it is Mary's, and I sometimes feel that Harry is just as good to me as he is to Mary. Your sister will never leave Gangoil. Not unless Harry gets another station. But you will have to be transplanted some day. Kate merely chucked up her head and pouted her lips, as though to show that the proposition was one which did not deserve an answer. You'll marry a squatter, of course, Miss Daly. "'I don't suppose I shall ever marry anybody, Mr. Medlicott.' "'You wouldn't marry anyone but a squatter? "'I can quite understand that. "'The squatters here are what the lords and the country gentlemen are at home.' "'I can't even picture to myself what sort of life people live at home.' "'Both Medlicott and Kate Daly meant England when they spoke of home. "'There isn't as much difference as people think. "'Classes hang together just in the same way.' "'Only I think there's a little more exclusiveness here than there was there.' "'In answer to this, Kate asserted with innocent eagerness "'that she was not at all exclusive, "'and that if ever she married anyone, she'd marry the man she liked. "'I wish you'd like me,' said Medlicott. That, "'That's nonsense,' said Kate, in a low, timid whisper, "'hurrying away to rejoin the other ladies.' She could speculate on the delights of the beverage, as would Mickey O'Dowd in his hut. But when it was first brought to her lips, she could only fly away from it. 
In this respect, Mickey O'Dowd was the more sensible of the two. No other word was spoken that night between them, but Kate lay awake till morning, thinking of the one word that had been spoken. But the secret was kept sacredly within her own bosom. Before the Medlicott started that night, the old lady made a proposition that the Heathcotts and Miss Daly should eat the Christmas dinner at Medlicott's mill. Mrs. Heathcote, thinking perhaps of her sister, thoroughly liking what she herself had seen of the Medlicotts, looked anxiously into Harry's face. If he would consent to this, an intimacy would follow, and probably a real friendship be made. Oh, "'It's out of the question,' he said. The very firmness, however, with which he spoke, gave a certain cordiality even to his refusal. "'I must be at home, so that the men may know where to find me, till I go out for the night.' Then, after a pause, he continued, "'As we can't go to you, why should you not come to us?' So it was at last decided, much to Harry's own astonishment, much to his wife's delight. Kate, therefore, when she lay awake, thinking of the one word that had been spoken, knew that there would be an opportunity for another word. Medlicott drove his mother home safely, and after he had taken her into the house, encountered Noakes on his return from Boulabong, as had been told at the close of the last chapter. End of chapter 7